following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned. Live from our basement studios in suburban Chicago, it's another edition of That Wine Pod. My name is Pete, and sitting across from me, the foncière, a frunk, Vino Mike. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. I think it's fancier, actually. I was trying to be fancy. Yeah. Fancy well, Nancy over here. I, I couldn't think of a, another word that meant like connoisseur or lover of or enthusiast that had an f so that's what i came up with how about fucking connoisseur the fucking connoisseur the fucker of frog (laughs) that's a little perverted we can't do that all right mike well i'm ready to get this show started how about you let's do it what's in that but oh that's gonna be me today huh this is going to be you today. Uh, you you busted out something from the cellar. I did. Um, I've got uh, I've got I've got some info, a little bit of info to share on it. But oh, yeah. this is your wheelhouse. So we're gonna we're gonna have uh, Pete over here take over the segment that we like to call that bottle. I don't know how if it's my wheelhouse or not, but I will tell you that I wanted to pull out a special bottle because I feel like celebrating because. It's, you know, we're because we're recording. Great. Absolutely. I look forward to this <laughs> weekly uh, get together, just drinking wine, tasting yeah. wine, getting together and talking. And I, I think this is your wheelhouse um, because it, it, well, uh, all right, maybe you don't, you know, agree about being in your wheelhouse, but when it comes to a wine like this and from where this is from, I know you've yeah. got some serious passion for it. For sure. And to be clear, anything that I like to drink is in my wheelhouse. So there you go. That's where I'm coming from. So anyway, today we're we're pulling out a Terra Blanca. So this is from Washington, a 2013. So it's got a little age to it. Boom. It's their signature series, Red Mountain. They're a state vineyard, 100%, I believe, Cabernet Franc. Wonderful. And this is was an interesting story when we were at Terra Blanca visiting. They talked about the fact that Cabernet Franc, in terms of the founders, uh, so Keith in particular, Keith Pilgrim, uh, who's one of the founders, him and his wife, he believed that Cabernet Franc was great for blending. Like it added depth and it added a lot to, say, a Cabernet or some other sort of red blend. But he didn't believe in the grape as a standalone entity, a bottle of wine. At least in, in Washington it, or anywhere? No, he believed almost anywhere. Now, I don't think he was talking Loire Valley necessarily. I was going to say, because I can guzzle down some Chinon and some right. Bourguil. And I mean, I think when it comes to Cabernet Franc, that's the forefront uh, as far as it being 100% or the dominant varietal. My mind always gravitates towards wanting to drink something from the Loire. And the New World tends to be a little jammy, a little juicy, a little too much oak, a little too much body and alcohol. But I've been sipping on this while you've been talking, and I couldn't wait. This this is really elegant. Yeah, I, and I'm with you. So he he talked about it in general, but I think he was okay. really talking about it in general from their region, or at least New World, mm-hmm. right? I've had some really elegant Cab Franc from the New World, but it's been mostly Finger Lakes oh, cool. for me. Yeah. A little bit. Actually, I had a really good one one time, I remember, from Long Island. 
that was really good. Yeah, me know. too, me too. Oh man, I can't remember the name of it, but I, I sent uh, a handful of, I think, half bottles to my, my cousin in New York for a gift once, and I just can't remember the name. So if you're listening and you remember, leave a comment. But yeah, yeah Long Island Cabernet Franc, baby. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I happen to be a fan of Cabernet Franc when done well. I agree that it can be over the top and jammy, but there's a few people who are doing it really well, even in Napa, right? So Jarvis mm-hmm. comes to mind. And this bottle is pricey. It's an expensive bottle. The winery listed at 75 bucks. Wow, this Terra Blanca. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's a pricey bottle of wine from the from the winery. I don't know what we paid for it, but that's what it's listed on the website as. I mean, I didn't give any thought to what I thought this might cost, but it wouldn't have been 75 I, No. I, I have no idea. Maybe 40s or something. Like, yeah. Like something premium, but... Probably not over fifty ish dollars. Yeah, and I think to that point, I I think that Cabernet Franc, when done well, is often overpriced in the New World versus right priced things out of like Chinon and, and such in the in France. Mm-hmm. The one thing about this particular wine that struck us and why we ended up buying it, well, two reasons. One, my wife Gretchen, Cabernet Franc is actually her favorite varietal. So you keep the wife happy, of course. There you go. But the other piece was, do you have a, did you look at the alcohol on this? I have not yet. Do you have a, a thought around what it might be? You know, I've, I've had a couple tastes here. I haven't really paid too much attention to it, but I would guess probably 14. Not bad. Wow. That is yeah. a lot going on there. 13 and a half. Wow, even less. Yeah. I, I was ready for you to say like fifteen five, but it's all in balance and in check, and because you typically will see more more alcohol, more ripeness, more power from the new world, yeah. um, especially when someone's doing a full blown Cabernet Franc that's not in the Loire Valley style, like maybe the Finger Lakes or Long Island. Right. Yeah, I was shocked when we first tasted this because, of course, they had had it open for a while. Mm-hmm. And so the you kind of get this burst of tannin. This is just open. And to me, it's a little grippy. It needs a little bit of time to let those tannins soften just a little bit. But I was like, so much flavor is in there. When they told it was, it was 13.5, I was blown away. I'm like, oh, I like to have these around because high acid, relatively high acid here with the mountain fruit, red mountain. Yeah. And the low alcohol. This is like incredible food wine Mm -hmm. it's not something that i'm personally going to sit around and just drink especially at 75 bucks pop or i mean i'm sure we paid at least 50 for it sure you know sure which i probably thought at the time ah we're overpaying but you know they're you're on these wine trips you get sucked up in it carablanc is a beautiful property it's a beautiful winery we're in the industry, so we're not getting charged for any of these tastings. I mean, I, I think this tastes luxurious. This I, I tastes agree. premium. And I think there's just a certain point. For me, it's probably around $60, $65, where once you go north of that, it's kind of hard to, like, why? You know, why is this 80 This is 130 right. the, You know what I mean? It, it, it all is just kind of expensive at that point right. to me. But there are certain wines, like I would pay that price if I really loved it or really wanted it or had a tie to it and all sorts of different reasons. So, um, but this, I mean, it's delicious, um, really well balanced. The fruit is bursting on this and it's really beautiful. It's not jammy, but it's ripe and forward. And what I'm most impressed with when I first smelled it and tasted it 
when I go into a Cabernet Franc from the New World, I'm ready for that big dose of green, that big bell pepper, green herbs, just the greenness that can can dominate these wines. And that you know that component is in this wine, but it is definitely playing a secondary role in the background, uh, a little more harmonious with the fruit here. And, uh, you know, some nice, you, you can tell that this has been bathed in some nice new oak as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, but in balance again, Yeah, I really think that that's my, my favorite part of this wine is that I can pick out each component, but taken together, they are all in harmony, but I could still pick them each out, which is a different kind of complexity to me than when you're having to kind of think through it it's like some I would I would call it complex and in harmony but not necessarily fully integrated in my mind at least they all work together but it's not so integrated that I can't pick out one component over another yeah it, I don't know That's, well some uh some full disclosure from me I've been to Washington once we saw fish play at the gorge surprise surprise a fish story that's (laughs) crazy what was cool on that trip is that the venue is located in in ava two avas technically one it's in the big huge all-encompassing columbia valley so much washington state wine is labeled columbia valley ava that doesn't get too specific though this ava is ginormous and contains all of the other sub avas within it for the most part but uh, this venue is in the Ancient Lakes AVA, where the gorge is, and that's more white wine country. And we we actually, on the way to the venue, drove right past Millbrant Vineyard, which was a big fruit sourcing vineyard for Kung Fu Girl. And, you know, just I, I knew it very well. So I'm like, oh, pull over. We got to take a picture and, you know, walk in the vines a little bit. And it was really cool. But this was like white wine country. Red wine, definitely think more of Walla Walla. Um, that was a good two hours south of where we were. So it was too much of a detour to go down there. So I have not explored Walla Walla, Yakima, um, Red Mountain, where you were, some of these other AVAs. So for the listener that also is not too familiar, Red Mountain is pretty small. Now you went there, right? Yeah, we did. So kind of, can you describe that a little bit and what, what the area sort of looks like? Because I just picture one little mountain. But yeah. is that literally what, what it is? or Sort of, yeah. First, we went to Millbrant on our trip to Washington. We went and met with the Millbrants, and it was fantastic. Cool. I mean, right on. it's a bigger winery operation, and they do a lot, but they're really nice. And then years ago, we did a dinner with uh, at Pinstripes. Yeah, a little with, like celebration with Butch, Millbrant, with, right? with Butch. They yeah. had the party bus. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was so much fun. So anyway, so we did that. So I we visited a few of the wineries around Red Mountain, Terrablanca, Cayona. I think that's how you say it. I think so too. And of course, the big one, the Chateau Saint Michel property. Col Solari. Col Solari. Wine. <laughs> I'm like, I kept wanting to I say, was, I was blanking Clo too. <laughs> Solari, and I'm like, that's not right. Yeah. It's Col Solari. So we visited those three mm-hmm. while we were there, and. We only did that because they were so proximate. Like they're right on top of each other because Red Mountain's not that big. Mm-hmm. And 
Where were you guys staying like that night? Were you in the area? Were you yeah. just passing through? Or? No, we were in that. We stayed in that area, not too far from there at a, in a hotel. It was right on the river there. That was really nice. I can't remember exactly the name. I was drunk most of the time. So I would we, be too. <laughs> and we had a driver. So we, there was about eight of us or is that right? Is there eight of us? Eight of, I think it was eight of us. Okay. And awesome. Maybe 10 of us. I can't remember. In one van or something. And or? we just all, maybe there was 10 of us and yeah, it must've been 10. And we all piled into like a small, you know, van type vehicle. And uh, it was nice, right? It had, it was really good. And we would go winery to winery. And so it was beautiful not a ton of elevation, but elevation for the area and still like high for for us. They're known for Cabernet Sauvignon on Red Mountain, okay. for sure. You know, and uh, Colsolare, as an example, did not really, they were sourcing from other people, including some of the wineries we visited. And then they started planting their estate fruit. Okay. So it's still, I don't believe, all estate at Colsolari. I think they still have to source in order to get enough wine. But there's beautiful fruit on that mountain. And somebody like Kiona is doing all kinds of things. It's not They're not only on Red Mountain. Yeah. But they're doing Sangiovese. They're doing Funky Rosés. They're doing all kinds of stuff. So, well, 20 years ago when I started at Tim Pony's as a server there, we had Kiona and Terra Blanca on our by the glass list. I, I don't exactly remember if it was Chardonnay, Cabernet, Merlot, but uh, maybe a few of them rotating on and off. And then we had a, um, a late harvest Riesling. I think it was Kiona's maybe? Yes, it is. And wow, that was good. But th- these were for, for me, these were some of the first Washington State wineries that I actually came across. So when I saw this on on the desk today, I was kind of pumped up because I just, I haven't had a Terra Blanca in many, many years. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you're looking at Red Mountain, it's, we were staying in Richmond. So okay. near, which is basically the, a town that's like right there. And Red Mountain, I think might even be in Richmond. I, I it's hard to tell what these wineries, what the, what the city is, right? Sure. Sometimes. And it's, you're right. You're way South in Washington way south you're not pretty pretty close to walla walla at this point right yeah so we ended up going to walla walla also it was just a hour ride or hour and a half ride you know Mm -hmm. it's or something like that and you get 60 70 miles and and then by the time you get down to walla walla which is a little bit to the south and east you are almost in oregon at that point i mean it's just a few miles away from the border Mm -hmm. so it's a very interesting area and that there's a lot of um, elevation a lot of up and down, right? So it's kind of rolling hills and a lot of green. The one thing around there that I would have to say where we were staying in that area of like Richmond, there wasn't a lot of really good restaurants, a lot of chains, not a lot going on. I was shocked by it. Just given other wine country typically has a lot more smaller mom and pop things or right. kind of up and coming chefs. Walla Walla, on the other hand, had some of that. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, and which was a great part of the trip. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was nice. I mean, and, and it's not a very old ABA. No, I want to say maybe, so. maybe 20 years, 2000, 2001, yeah. somewhere in there. All this stuff was in my brain at, at one point, 10 years ago or so when I was really, you know, studying up and having to know all, all these AVAs and when they, when they were established and things like that. But, you know, for, 
Washington State in general, yeah, it's, it's probably a little bit on the newer side. And it's a very, very small AVA. It's probably the smallest in the state, if I remember. Oh, it's a postage stamp. Yeah. Um, and it's literally just this kind of this hill, right? Yeah. And, and it's not red. It's green. It is. And it's got certain type of soil, probably more clay there, I'm guessing. Anyway, I want to get into all of that necessarily, but the the takeaway here is that Red Mountain is really small and a really, really special place. There's not a whole lot of wineries there, but the fruit that comes off of this goes into many other Washington state wineries that are doing a Columbia Valley labeled wine, right. but sourcing some fruit off of Red Mountain to add and, and make that wine even better. Especially on the Cabernet Sauvignon side. Cool. That's the big thing almost all of the top Cabernets, if they're Columbia Valley ABA, are going to have some of this Red Mountain fruit in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was actually at Kiona, I believe that it was there that this whole thing started. I, I, I think they were the pioneers. And then what really gave the credence was they were making unbelievable, just unbelievable Cabernets overall. And then that's what got Chateau Saint-Michel and Antonori to come together to do Col Solare. And then when they give this huge investment into a winery in that area, now it just has unbelievable cachet, right? That's kind of what happens. And Colsolari came in, I don't know, middle of 2000s or so, you know, was when that big kind of push started for them, Mm -hmm. which is why they don't have estate fruit everywhere. So, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story. And I love Washington wines in general because I do believe... It's one of the regions that marries new world fruit and some of the old world characteristics. Yeah, I agree. And I kind of love it for the same reasons. And it's kind of on the same longitude as Bordeaux. So it often will get compared to Bordeaux in terms of having a little extra earthiness and complexity. They do uh, Merlot here really, really, really good. Like if you're looking for some Merlot, if you're back to drinking some fucking Merlot, which you all should be, come on now. Um, Washington State is a is a great place to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, big thumbs up. Big time thumbs up. 2013, a little bit of age, like you said, but still young, still a puppy. Yeah. I mean, the oak is still kind of new and lavish. There's this really nice kind of mocha coffee drink thing going on, but it, it's, again, in balance, not over the top. You, you get a little bit of the fruit, the oak, the earth, the herbs. It, it's all there together, but no one is louder than the other. Yeah. I get a little, I, I call it minerality mm-hmm. with maybe a little bit of stoniness, but more on the graphite side, almost like pencil lead. Yeah, I got to say, that's probably a characteristic of Red Mountain. You know, they're, the, the type of soils that they have there, it unmistakably comes out in, in its wines when they're 100% red mountain fruit. Ah, nice. Beautiful. Well, we're going to have some fun with, with this one, the rest of the episode. And if I don't give Gretchen a glass, since we're recording in my house, it it's convenient for her. Yeah. So no. <laughs> we'll try to, try to save her some. That's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> so, but you mentioned that there used to be a bunch of stuff in your head because you had to study a lot. Yeah, that's Which right. reminds me of our last episode with Dan Pelkey, and I think we need to talk about that a little bit. I think so, too. Um, that was a marathon episode, and absolutely fantastic, and, and thank you, Dan. But um, this was 
something that I, th- I think we need to go back to a little bit and just sort of do a quick debriefing, a little bit of a takeaway. And after digesting it for about a week or so since we recorded it, I, I definitely have a couple things um, that I wanted to go through and, and talk about real quick. So Yeah, I drank on it too. So I'd love <laughs> to hear what you have to say. And uh, for, for all those that ha- have not listened to it, you may want to hit pause right now, go back, check out episode 11, and then come back to come back to this show and finish it off. So make sure that you give yourself plenty of time. It is a two hour and 45 minute episode. It is. It and is. worth every minute. Definitely worth every minute. So, but we were talking about the uh, court of master, Som- uh, court of master Somiers, the, the, the cheating scandal that took place in September of 2018. And it was a really passionate episode, a really passionate show. And, you know, it was really through the, the lens of Dan who went through it and experienced it firsthand. And, it's been a story that has, I think, been kind of under the radar in the industry as a whole. I'm thrilled that we gave Dan a platform to talk about the story and maybe get some more exposure. I know firsthand some people that came to me, messaged me, text, whatever. Oh, I never knew about this, right? And to me, that's like a victory. It's like, yes, we right. want to get this out there a little bit more, ultimately, to have this not happen again. I don't think the court is going anywhere. And I also want to be clear that I don't think the court is completely like overridden by cheating and, you know, scandal and stuff like that. This is, this was, um, a a very particular and isolated incident, but a very important and big one at the same time. That brings up a question to me. Did it make the court in your mind lose any credibility? Yeah, without a doubt. Instantly. But at the same time, not the people who have passed the exam are, I guess this is where I'm having a trouble breaking apart in my mind, right? I think that it definitely gave the court of master sommeliers in America a black eye mm-hmm. and it, and it made me question credibility where I'm trying to separate it is understanding all the hard work that went into the people who passed and not putting an asterisk next to their titles. Right. Right. And I, I can only equate it to something like baseball where there's a home run king named Babe Ruth for many, many years. And then it comes along Hank Aaron and we're just assuming that they were quote unquote clean. And now we get to somebody like Mark McGuire or Barry Bonds and they start breaking records. And it's pretty obvious with modern technology that they're not quote unquote clean. Mm -hmm. And now they have asterisks potentially, at least in our minds. Well, Barry, I think there is, but there's in our minds, there's this asterisk next to it, but it, but it doesn't make me put an asterisk next to say being a White Sox fan, like big Frank Thomas, right? Right. Like I think Frank was just a big dude and he was clean and he hit a bunch of home runs and I guess what I'm trying to do is not throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. here. I mean, I, and like, I don't know how you feel about it. I like to think that there are some current players maybe and some youngsters that after the Maguire and the Bonds were like, I'm going to do this legit. I'm going to do it clean. We're obviously in a much different era compared to Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron, where we have all this science now, all this technology to help with fitness, diet, nutrition, training, the mental side. Like it, We're just more experienced as a race, I think, as a, a species, I should say, in general. And, you know, that's going to hopefully elevate some of the things. And I I think overall, we're getting more elevated as an industry in in the wine world. Like wines are being made much cleaner. There's much more quality wine than there was 
40 years ago in the 70s or something like that. And, you know, I just wanted to kind of talk about the court as a whole and make sure that people understand that while there are only a few hundred or hundreds, maybe 300 to 400 master sommiers worldwide uh, over the span of about four decades, there's literally thousands upon thousands of members within the court that have taken the lower level examinations that lead up towards the master sommier diploma. And not everyone goes all the way to try to take that last exam. So from my experience within the court, you know, I took the intro exam in 2003, so 17 years ago. And I think that as far as the intro is concerned, I think it's a great experience. And it is, you know, for those that take it, they're going to come away from that with more knowledge than they had going in. It's a positive experience. And ultimately, I think it's very good for the industry. I think that maybe it motivates people to then study a little bit more and take it to the next step, or at least demystify some things and, you know, get people in our industry the right kind of information to go out there and be better in their own jobs, be better wine professionals, restaurant distributor, whatever division of the industry they're working in. Now, after the the introductory, now we have the certified sommelier. So the, the intro course, you got to understand that there are almost anybody can take this. A lot of employers in big companies even require it. Like you get a job and here, you're going to go take the intro level to the court exam. And the pass rate for this exam is about 95%. Maybe it's a little more, maybe it's a little less these days. But basically, if you're not a knucklehead, if you're respectful, if you don't show up in cutoff jeans and a you know t-shirt, then you're pretty much going to pass this test. And what it is, is three days of lectures where you're you're just getting all this great information from master sommiers um, who are teaching it at an introductory type level. And, you know, it's kind of the, like your easy class in high school where maybe you had that one teacher that was like, hey, you might want to remember this piece of information. It might be on your final exam. Maybe. I'm not saying. So it's kind of like they're throwing you some layups there, right? The, the same thing that they get in trouble for at the master exam level. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I guess it can come full circle like that if they're not careful. Right. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, it's, it's really what it, it is. It's an intro. Now we get to the certified exam and the certified didn't always exist. And I've mentioned that before, you know, it used to be, you go from intro to advanced and, you know, it, 2004 is when I audited the advanced. So I know the certified didn't exist then. And I took the certified in 08. So I don't know when they started it, but you know, we can say it was roughly between 04 and 08. They created this new level called the certified. Do you have to pass intro to do the certified? You, yes, you do. Regardless of your time in an industry or anything. That's right. Okay. That's right. You absolutely have to do the intro first in order to move on to the certified. When you go on to the certified, you pretty much need to be have had some experience on a restaurant floor. The Court of Master Sommiers is very restaurant driven. So if you're a journalist, if you're a, a fan, if you're only retail your whole life or only distribution, you have to take this service exam in the certified examination. You have to take the service portion. And if you've never worked a restaurant floor, I don't care who you are, you're going to be green, really green, and they're going to spot it and they're not going to pass you. Right. I guess that's where, like what Dan has now talked about doing, right? The W set. 
Mm-hmm. That's where that comes in because that component doesn't exist in in their levels. That's right. Right. That's right. And so, you know, I took the certified in 08. I had about almost eight years of experience by then, five years since I took the intro. I was really well prepared. And the only reason I took the certified is because I wanted to sign up for advanced and I needed to take certified first. It was a requirement. The certified exam is literally just that. It is one day and it is an exam. You show up, you take a written test, you take a service exam, and then you take a blind tasting exam, which is actually on paper, okay, that you're given. Now, this might have changed, and I I don't exactly know what it is, and we can go onto their website and print out the certified exam sheet probably and take a look, but when I took it, you had one white and one red, and then you used a piece of paper that prompted you to fill out the descriptors of those wines and ultimately conclude what the wine was. So then the master psalm grading it can go back and be like, all right, great, you called this an apicab and you deducted it because it has new oak, it was fruit forward, it has high tannin. And like basically what you're saying makes sense and you're sort of on the right, the right track towards becoming a better blind taster. And when doing that, if you kind of deduce a bunch of the right things but give a bad conclusion, how is that looked at? Do you know? I I don't know 100%. I I would like to think that if you're not too far off, you might actually probably get through and pass. And, uh, you know, there's there's also a margin of error that you're allowed. So you can, you know, like if, I don't know what it is, but maybe you can get the equivalent of a 75% and still pass, right? Just curious. Um, the, The other piece of context here is when you do the blind tasting like this, everybody does it at the same time in the same room. Oh, I like that. You're not in you're not in seclusion, one like by yourself, isolated, right? So it's like you walk into this room. They've got the wine pre poured. You sit down at your desk or whatever it is, and you know it's like, all right, you have 15 minutes. I forget. Well, you have a certain amount of time to do it. So the certified, you're not really like gaining any knowledge from it. It's just a test. So to me, it was a way to sort of maybe create a nice additional revenue stream for the court, where people would go through take this certified exam. It's not for a, a, a uh, you know, kind of seasoned wine professional. It's really not all that difficult. Now, I'm trying to be humble with this. Not everyone can go pass it and not everybody does, but the people that don't pass it, I tend to see that they're just not restaurant people. They've never worked a floor and that's the service portion that kind of holds them back. Yeah. I've never worked a minute in a restaurant, nor do I desire to. Yeah. So that would probably obviously hold somebody like me back. And honestly, I didn't realize I've been in this industry a pretty long time. I didn't realize that there was a difference between intro and certified. Yeah. I thought that if you did the intro, you were a certified SOM. So the terminology is very confusing to me overall. Yeah. But anyway, I... I just thought I'd throw that in there because I'm even confused by it. Yeah. And again, I just want people to know about how these exams are set up, right? Yeah. And and what goes into them. So the next level is the advanced, okay? And the advanced compared to the certified, it's leaps and bounds more difficult. Now we're, we're, we're kind of talking about a baby master sommelier exam. But before I get into that, I think the also the other thing that the certified exam does is it kind of maybe moderates the intake for people that want to go on to the advanced, where if they didn't have certified, you might have a lot of people take the intro and want to go try their hand at the advanced, but not be nearly prepared enough to handle that and to do it. So you're ultimately wasting the court's time and resources, the candidate's time and resources, 
And, you know, it's just not worthwhile for everybody. So I, I think it was a good move overall to create the certified, but I also think it kind of maybe weeds people out. And, I, and you know, there's a lot of people that are certified sommiers and use that title proudly, and they should. It's kind of like, all right, I'm good. I'll stop here. I'm a certified som. You know, I don't really want to take on these next higher levels up. Um, it's more expensive. It's more sacrifice. It's more time. So it's also a way that kind of thins the herd a little bit from going up to the next higher levels. Yeah. Again, from an outsider looking in, yeah, it's confusing. I mean, it's super confusing. Yeah. To me, certified sounds more authoritative than advanced, and it's not. I agree. And Especially I, now because you literally have probably thousands more certified sommiers out there, resumes, social media, business cards, whatever. It's just certified sommiers, certified, 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 well, and you don't see a whole lot of advanced. Right. Well, and certified usually means kind of top of the line. Like, hey, I got certified. Certified. This, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, that, that's where it kind of ends. So it's a little confusing. I think they would have been much better if they would have done like level one, level two, level three, and then master, you yep. know? Master tells me more than certified, but advanced, I think, is just a terrible name because it you are one level above a certified, you personally, Mike. Yeah. And I would only know that because of our conversations. Sure. So. Sure. And I mean, advanced, you know, there's people that took it in the 80s, right? So it's just been around forever. A little bit of a legacy thing. And I agree, you know, one, two, three, four, or one, two, three, master, whatever. So now when we get into the advanced exam, like I said, it's like a baby master sommelier exam, but here's the key points you got to know. Number one, you, the, the exam is still within three sections. You got the theory portion, a service portion, and a blind tasting portion. The difference from certified is that the questions are certainly more difficult on the theory portion, but it's still a written exam. Okay. You're given a time, whatever it is, 45 minutes, I forget, an hour. You get a written test. You can go back. You can skip questions. You can just like taking any written test you ever have had in your life. And you have all the questions in front of you. You're, you're going to remember after the exam what they asked, maybe things you didn't know you can go look up, stuff like that. The service exam, a little more difficult, but kind of, you know, you're still waiting on master sommiers in a pretend restaurant environment and doing various tasks, maybe a little, certainly a little bit more than the certified, but same, same general premise. The blind tasting, much different. Now we're in the master sommelier level. The blind tasting for the advanced is the classic six wines, three whites, three reds, where you have 25-minute clock that starts the second you interact with a wine, and you have to go through their grid to deduct what the wines are, describe them, and call what they are. Big leaps and bounds difference from certified to advanced on the blind tasting portion. The other factor is that you have to pass all three parts at the same time at the advanced exam. So if you absolutely nail the theory and you kill the service and you just don't have a good tasting day, you, you don't pass. You don't, you have to, you want to go do it again. You have to start over. You got to take the theory again and the service again. So we're at the master sum level. If you pass a section, you get to keep that for the three years. The other big difference is that the margin of error is quite big for the advanced exam. You can miss quite a bit and still pass within all three parts. All right, so you can show you're proficient. Maybe you're more proficient in theory or you had a better tasting day and you weren't as prepared in theory, but as long as everything kind of balances out and you and you hit that required pass mark for all three sections, you pass. So my point for all of this is at the advanced 
the certified, the intro is not a test, I'm sorry, but at the advanced and the certified, I feel the candidate has the advantage and holds all the cards in terms of your amount of preparation, your poise, and your execution should get you through if you do your job correctly. I think that it is when you get to the master sommelier exam that that's when things start to become a little bit ambiguous. There's definitely no lectures. This is now you show up and you're taking tests, right? You're not getting any information from masters and things like that at the master sommelier exam. You're you're going to take your theory, which they changed it around. Now you take theory first and you have to pass that in order to go to where they do the service and the tasting. I think that's because over the last five, six, seven years, the profession has gotten so popular. More and more people have come up the ranks past advanced. It's just a matter of logistics of handling the amount of candidates that are available to take this test. Do you think the movies and stuff got an influx? Yeah, help, I, I, help I think so. Push it forward. I definitely think the so. Saw movies and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, th- this is interesting. I mean, I'm glad that you outlined it because I think in the last episode with Dan's take on what happened, right. it could have come across as, hey, the court's not legit. Right. And I don't think that's even what Dan is saying. No. I think what he's saying, and I think what we're saying, is probably they need to look at how to make the system better Correct. because it has flaws. That, that was one of my big takeaways from that whole episode is like, I agree with one little portion that Dan said of like, look, if you just shut it down, said, okay, we're going to strip your titles and this doesn't count, but we are completely overhauling the process to guarantee that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. Sorry, you guys are the ones that had to fall on that sword in order to make it happen, but it's kind of for the greater good. Instead, it's just like swept under the rug. Let's be as hush-hush about it as possible. No transparency. What are they doing to fix this? And, you know, at that level, you're, you're definitely not getting the, the type of feedback necessary, in my opinion, as someone striving to complete that exam and pass it that you might get at some of the lower levels because it's a little bit more transparent. You know, at the, at the master level, like you, the theory exam is oral. It's really tough to remember the questions. And it's also tough to like some of the questions they ask that are so difficult it's hard to even go look up those answers because they're not like, it's not like you just Google that and get the answer there. There's multiple way, like there could be multiple answers. It's a little bit gray. And then in the tasting portion, you just, you'd never get the feedback, even at the advanced of like, here's what you passed and here's what you didn't. I can understand not giving out the information of what the wines were. I think that if word gets out that oh, we blind tasted you on Terra Blanca's Cabernet Sauvignon, then Terra Blanca can go to market and be like, hey, the court uses us for the master sommelier exam. We got one of the best Cabernets around, right? Like I can see that, but you could at least, I think, say like, hey, look, you did did pretty good. You got four out of six. We You nailed the, the California Zinfandel. You got the Rioja. There's nothing like that at all. It's just zero. It's just like, you know, you got to work on this, work on that, be a little bit better, work on your time, you know, taste more. What It's very vanilla general and you just go away with, for me anyway, just sort of a, a bad taste in your mouth from it. So if somebody's starting in the restaurant industry now, is this something you, a track you would recommend still? You know, I would because I really do think that the intro is great for the for the industry as a whole. And if you're in the restaurant business and on the floor, I think taking the certified exam, you know, it does push you to study wine regions more, work on your blind tasting. 
all of this yields a better wine professional. But I do think that this story still needs to get out in the open and the court really needs to, from within, figure this thing out and fix it so that this never happens again. And I mean, just it, it's just got to get away from the vibe of being a, a you know a good old boys club. Yeah, I mean, that's good input. I mean, and, and I think that there's some confusion in the general public, too, just with the terms, right? Calling somebody a master sommelier, people think that I am, right? Just because I've been in the industry for a long time, I know a little bit about wine. Mm-hmm. And the term sommelier, just it's a word. It's a small s. It's a word. Mm-hmm. That means wine steward, right? Right. That to me can be a little problematic too. And it's because of all this insider stuff that I I believe makes the mystery of all of this is weird to the general public. And so it's almost meaningless outside of this little society. And the society, like you said, has thousands at one level and it kind of comes up to a top where the master doesn't have as many, right? A, a few hundred mm-hmm. worldwide. And it's just so mysterious <laughs> that it's tough to tough to understand. And then when you have a quote-unquote secret society, right? That's my term. Nobody else's. It's shrouded in mystery anyway. So when something like this happens, most of us go, well, of course it is. Right. Right? Because they're probably picking and choosing who they want in their club and who they don't. Right. So I get that that's not from the insider's view what's going on. But from an outsider's view, this stuff's confusing. And it seems like a secret anyway. So what's the difference? And honestly, I don't know who I'm talking to when they've got a pin on at a restaurant because all the pins, they might be different. They all look the same to me. (laughs) So I have no idea if I'm talking to an advanced SOM, a master SOM, a certified SOM, or just somebody who calls themselves a wine steward or a wine director. I have no clue. And the bottom line is, look, it's just a title, whether you're master, advanced, certified, it's the person, you know, it's not the pin or the title, but it's what you do with it. And it's the person wearing it that makes all the difference in the world. We can't group all these people together in terms of, well, all certifieds have the same amount of wine knowledge and experience and same with all advanced and a master really is a master. I think that if you, all right, let me be really crystal clear about one, maybe two things, but the biggest is my experience going through the court. I would not trade it for the world because it pushed me further than I thought I would ever be able to go in terms of my wine experience, you know, the professionalism, um, knowledge, blind tasting, and the people that I met along the way that helped helped me get there. Um, a lot of the masters that helped me get there. I, you know, I was lucky. I got a lot of good, good people in in my circle from, you know, 03 through 09 when I passed advanced and and even you know, taking the master psalm for a couple of years after that. But so for me, it was a great, great experience. And, but I, I know what I did. I know how much I studied. My wife knows how much I studied. Um, and I wouldn't trade that for the world right now, you know, master psalm pin or not. I know the efforts that I put in and I'm grateful for that. I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of positivity that comes out of the experience if you do it right. And we, we formed this group in Chicago, Second City Psalms, based on failing this test and f- trying to come together and figure out a way of, all right, how can we elevate all of us as a community to go past this thing, to get to the level that we need to be of preparedness and focus and sharpness to go in there? 
it just sucks that one bad apple, like that, that the potential to have what happened happen, that really sucks that that's been a possibility basically the whole time. And this is just the first time it got exposed. That's the big beef that I have with it. And that I had, I, I didn't think there was cheating when I took the master SOM exam. I didn't, you know, I kind of, I guess I had some blind faith that, Hey, this is how they do it. It's all good. Nobody, you know, there, you definitely wouldn't, as you know, we talked about on the previous episode, you're not going to tell someone after you taste, Hey, I think there's a read, like you don't want to mess with somebody else's head. You got to go in there completely open to, and let the wine speak for itself. Um, it doesn't matter what is the, you know, it doesn't matter what they picked out. Um, it doesn't matter what anybody tells you what it might be. The wine speaks for itself. When we're talking about classic examples, there's, there, it just, it tells you what it is. The answer is right there in the glass. And that's the, in my opinion, is the definition of the master is to just let the wine tell you what it is, describe it. And here's what it is. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate the insights and I mean, I, I actually learned things today that I didn't know after being in this industry a long time in the wine industry, but yeah. I'm not in the restaurant industry. And this is a much more restaurant focused overall. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it was different. Uh, my perspective was different. In the end, though, what you're trying to do is a psalm, regardless. I, I don't care what your title is, or a wine steward, or a wine director, or a server. It doesn't matter. You're just mm -hmm. trying to get the right bottle of wine in somebody's hands. Bingo. That's it. Perfect. Perfectly summed up. When someone's at the restaurant, just the other day, I had a, a customer say, yeah, I'm looking for something like a Syrah, maybe. And, you know, boom, I, talk, I took him to, I don't want to necessarily name you know, wines right now, but I took him to a pretty well-known central coast producer that does Rhone blends. And it was a little bit of an older vintage. And I'm like, you're going to love this. And, oh, I've never heard of it. I was like, so excited, got the bottle, tasted it. Oh, that's really good. To me, I, I felt huge victory. Right. Boom. That like job done. Well, that's all we're ever trying to do. That's why we got in this profession. And they, right? they went away happy. They had a great yeah. experience. The food was good. The whole thing comes into play, right? It's not just the psalm and their pin. Right. You know? All right. Well, you got anything else you feel like we got to share before we go, before we wrap it up? I think, I think we should just wrap it up with this and, you know, put a lid on this master psalm thing. The, the last, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, right. there is one more thing. All right. Please, people. Leave a comment on that episode. We want to get this story out. Go onto your own Instagram and Facebook or Twitter. Go onto that Wine Pods Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It doesn't matter. Just leave some comments with what you might think, whether it's one sentence or two paragraphs. I know that there's a lot of people that have opinions out there. And the more we talk about this and get it out in the open, I think the more that we can help the court steer the ship right. There are really good people that have the title of Master Sommier. And I, I would like to see them get on track because overall I do like, I had a great experience within it. Definitely a little weird at the master level. And now with the whole scandal thing, really bad taste, but I think we can get beyond this and, and make it even better than what it was before. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to leave you with that. All right, everybody. Life is short. Get out there and drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at at That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram at Vino Mike. And Pete is at Fat Man Stories.
Please subscribe to That Wine Pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto-Funk by Kevin McLeod. That Wine Pod is a production of Paragon Media. Oh, 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 oh,